Let's think about getting better from game one to game two. We'll look at the film, we'll learn, we'll get better, we'll get smarter. We'll get ready for game two. Adjustments. 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 You gotta adjust. Adjustments. Adjustments. Make an adjustment already. Adjustments. It's all about who can adjust. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Oh, we're not done with adjustments yet. No, sir. No, ma'am. No, 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 no. A lot of adjustment talk still to be had. The NBA playoffs all about adjustments. Did you forget? How, how could you forget? Right now that we've got game one under our belt, we got some tape to grind. We got some film to review. Changes, adjustments, tweaks. This time of year is all about adjustments. It's adjustment season. S-Z-N. Adjustment season. We talk a lot about adjustments today. Actually, we're really not going to talk about that many adjustments. But that's the prevailing narrative. That's what we're all talking about, right? You heard Mark Jackson during the broadcast game one. Hey, Coach Bud, got to make adjustments here and there. The postgame show, Jay Williams, I didn't listen because I can't stand to listen to him, but I would imagine he was saying something about adjustments. I don't know. I muted him. I tweeted the other night. It's like, really? On the ESPN studio crew, I'll listen to Malika Andrews. I'll listen to Maria Taylor. I don't need to hear from Jay Williams or Jalen Rose or Woj. I'll listen to Malika Andrews. She's fantastic. Rachel Nichols is great, too, although that's kind of a sensitive sensitive topic right now. Everybody's talking about adjustments. It's adjustment season, and it should be. But I think maybe it's a little bit overplayed, and that's something I want to talk about for a good portion of tonight's show. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and if you can't tell by the tone of my voice, I am thrilled to be here, happy to be alive. I stepped out of bed this morning on cloud nine. Well, I actually, not really. I woke up this morning feeling miserable. I haven't gone to bed at a decent hour in like three weeks. My schedule is messed up. So I woke up this morning feeling like crap. But as the day has come along, I've, I've really hit my stride. And I'm feeling awesome. And I can't wait for tonight's game. Game two of the NBA Finals. Bucks at the Suns once again. This is the second of the two games in Phoenix before heading back to Milwaukee for two more. This is a game you don't need to have. It's not a must win in a literal sense or in the sense of the show, right? We decide what games are must wins on the show. It's a, it's a great characteristic of this community. We'll decide which games are must wins and which aren't. The Bucks won in the second round against the Nets going down 0-2. It's really hard to do, however. So tonight is, uh, it's, it would be nice to win. It would be favorable to win. It would be convenient to win. It's a convenience win tonight for the Bucks. Maybe let's look at it that way. Going to talk a lot of Bucks today, but I understand not all of you are diehard NBA fans. Yeah, you tolerate a little Bucks talk here and there, but you'd rather hear about the Packers or you'd rather hear about the Brewers. If you are in that boat, don't worry. I have factored you into the equation tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the Brewers as well. We're going to hear from David Gasper reviewing the Brew coming up at 4.30. I talked to him on Tuesday, but that portion of the show was blocked out for a huge portion of our listening audience because the Brewers game started early. So if you missed that interview and you're like, all right, I like the Bucks, I want them to win, but geez, Grant, can you talk about anything else? All right, we'll do the Brewers. We'll do the Brewers coming up at 435. We'll talk about Rowdy Telez, a new member of the Brewers, talk about the shifting in the back end of the bullpen because the back end of the bullpen had some issues yesterday, especially in the first game of that doubleheader against the Mets. So we will do a little Brewers talk at both 430 and 530. Other than that, a lot of Bucks, as it should be, is there in the NBA Finals. If you want to chime in, add anything to the conversation, send me a text, 608-796-2558. You can give me a call as well, and you can follow and tweet me at Wisco Grant if you're on Twitter. 
if Twitter is your thing. Yesterday, I started the show with a bit of a PSA, and I want to continue that conversation. So as the the show goes along, we're going to talk X's and O's. We're going to dig into the details of this game, how they should approach offensively, defensively, matchups, minutes, rotations, all that stuff. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty. But I want to start the show from kind of a 10,000-foot view, a big-picture topic. And I said to start yesterday's show, I said, hey, let's all come down. Let's take a deep breath. Remember to take a deep breath. Yes, the Bucs lost game one, but there's a lot of positives to take away. The Bucs shooting looks like it's on the right track. Giannis certainly looks like he's on the right track. I thought the defense was good, at least better than most people would argue. I think the Bucs did a lot of good things. The Suns were just better. And game one always goes to the home team. The home team has won game one of the last nine NBA finals, last nine of 10. That's not counting the bubble. So that's going back 11 years. Nine of the last 11 years, the home team has won game one of the finals. We shouldn't be shocked that the Bucs lost, and we certainly shouldn't be upset about it. A lot of reasons to be optimistic going into tonight, but that's not how Wisconsin sports fans typically operate. We're a, we're a fickle bunch. If our team is winning, oh, it's the best team ever. How could anyone criticize our team? We have the, we have the best player. We have the MVP. We have the best coach in the league. We're underrated. Everybody counts us out. We're the best. That's after every win. If we lose, I've always hated this team. I've always hated this state. I hate myself and fire everyone. (laughs) Very hot and cold fan base. And I'm part of it. Like, I'm in the mix. I'm guilty of this too. There's never an in-between. And that's what I want to begin the show with tonight. Kind of a bigger picture topic about the Bucs. How we can be better fans. How we can be smarter fans. How really we can have a deeper understanding of the game's that we watch. Because if we're going to come together for two hours every night, and I understand most of you probably don't listen to all two hours. Some of you might, and that's great. But if you stop by the show for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and we're investing time in these discussions, I want to make sure they're worthwhile discussions. Otherwise, we're just, we're just wasting time here. How can we be better, smarter fans and have more worthwhile conversations and discussions about these games that we watch? We invest time and emotional energy, and we lose sleep over these games. We might as well make it worth it. And we might as well learn something along the way. I first started thinking about this the other night during game one, especially when the Bucs were on defense. When the Bucs were on defense, I couldn't stop thinking about this. There are many instances of the Bucs switching. The Bucs, over the course of the last few years, especially this last year, have employed two defensive strategies. They play drop defense, where Brooke Lopez sinks back and goes under screens. Or they've switched. They've done a lot more switching this year, especially as the playoffs have gone along, where Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker, Giannis, doesn't matter. We're switching every ball screen, one through five, matchups, not important to us. We're going to switch. Those are the two defenses they've ran. And the other night, they're switching a lot in game one, and Brooke Lopez was isolated play after play on Chris Paul and on Devin Booker. And when he was isolated in one-on-one matchups, top of the key, Chris Paul was hitting tough jumpers. Devin Booker was hitting tough jumpers. They were earning their shots. Really, really tough shots over a seven-foot-tall Brooke Lopez. So what's the reaction by fans? And a lot of the national media as well. Terrible defense. Oh, just terrible. Brooke Lopez can't cover those guys. Get him off the floor. Get him out of there. Go small. Put Giannis at the five. Brooke Lopez can't play. Well, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Brooke Lopez, in many instances, played pretty darn good defense in game one just better offense. And if you've ever talked to a basketball coach at any level, youth all the way up to college, the pros, they'll all say the same thing, right? The offense has the advantage. The offense knows where it's going. The the ball handler knows where they're going. If I'm dribbling, I'm going to cut right. I know that. The defender is reacting. So the offensive player is always going to have the advantage. 
Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they worked and took really tough shots and made really tough shots over Brooke Lopez. That doesn't mean that Brooke Lopez's defense was bad. I retweeted this tweet the other night from our friend, show guest, Dave Dufour of The Athletic. He tweeted this, the ball going into the hoop shouldn't have an effect on your opinion of the defensive possession. So tonight when you're watching the Bucks, especially on defense, and Devin Booker drives to the hole or takes a jumper, right? If, as, as the ball's leaving his hand, make an active effort to think, oh, that's good defense. Oh, that's bad defense. Before the shot goes in, right? Because there's all these instances where I'm watching, Chris Paul puts up a tough contested jumper. And I'm like, hey, good defense. And the ball goes in, and then I'm thinking, all right, well, you made him work. And sometimes that's all you can do. The ball going into the hoop or missing the hoop, that's secondary to whether the defense is good or not. You can have good defense and just better offense. There were a lot of examples of that in game two. Here's another example, and it's a football example. So if you're getting sick of basketball and you're like, Grant, please talk about anything else. Here you go. I have some uh, some football examples for you. And it's a podcast that I was listening to called Flying Coach. It's with Peter Schrager and Sean McVay. And the guest was Kyle Shanahan. It's very, very interesting. And Kyle Shanahan in this podcast is talking about the Super Bowl against the Patriots, when he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta under Dan Quinn, Matt Ryan's MVP year. This is two weeks after they completely shellacked the Packers. And they're up 28-3. to And he's talking about how that second half came to be. And as fans, we have conceptions about that game. It's like, well, they didn't run enough in the second half. Well, actually, Atlanta ran the ball more in the second half than in the first half. Right? Well, they threw the ball too much. Well, they actually made some really good plays. They just got unlucky. Here's Kyle Shanahan talking about one third down in particular where they called the right play, they executed the play, but then it got Brock back due to a holding penalty. Doesn't mean the play was bad. Doesn't mean the play call was bad. It just didn't work out. Here's Kyle Shanahan. And I got to throw the ball to get back uh, to field goal range. And so the next play, I threw the ball. It was a five-yard out to Mohamed Sanu. Caught it, turned up the field for a 12-yard gain. Back in field goal range, but they called a holding on our left tackle on Jake Matthews on Chris Long. So I had to deal with it. And then you've got to live with it the rest of your life. Yeah, I wish I called a different call on that one play. So it didn't work out, right? The call to Mohamed Sanu, the pass was good. The route was good. It worked. It had its intended purpose to get back into field goal range. It did. And then the holding call brought it back. Ugh. Frustrating. That probably would end the game. But of course, we're not lucky. Tom Brady is the only one who ever gets to take advantage of luck in the NFL. So he's talking about the play call and how it didn't ultimately work, but the theory behind it wasn't incorrect. Now Sean McVay chimes in and brings in another football example, the Super Bowl with Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, right? Once again, two weeks after the Seahawks uh, embarrassed the Packers in the NFC Championship game. And once again, another lucky play that Tom Brady was the beneficiary of. Listen to Sean McVay here. This is interesting. Here's the thing, though. In that sequence, what nobody talks enough about was what you just said on third down, where you throw a quick choice route to Sanu, which is the right call. We kick a field goal. Game's probably over if we don't get the holding call. It didn't work out. Like, I love how, you know, whether you you agree or disagree, everybody wants to talk about, you know, when they end up throwing it with it's Seattle versus the Patriots. Well, what Mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about is they go goal line defense. You're going to have an unblocked defender at the point of attack. Could Marshawn Lynch run the guy over? Yeah, maybe so. But also, you know what's a much more sound? Let's run a two-man pick rub versus a zero coverage. And that's a high percentage. And that's a smart design right there. It just didn't work out in terms of the execution and how it plays out. But I like I love how it's always the revisionist history. But to your point, Kyle, the thought process is sound. So that's Sean McVay. First of all, addressing what happened to Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl with the Falcons, but also 
going back two years earlier in the spring of 2015 when Seattle was on the doorstep. They didn't run it to Marshawn Lynch and everybody lost their mind. Well, if you actually think about it, play call made a lot of sense for the reasons that Sean McVay mentioned. Now, it didn't work out, and that's why I bring up this audio from this podcast, Flying Coaches Through the Ringer. It's really interesting, right? Sometimes a coach or a player makes the right call or the right play, and it just doesn't work out. Russell Wilson's interception on the one-yard line is a great example. The call made sense for the reasons that Sean McVay just mentioned. You have a goal-line defense where there's unblocked defenders right on the line of scrimmage, makes running the ball challenging. Seattle also had a limited number of timeouts and a limited number of time to work with. Limited amount of time, I suppose, not a limited number of time, right? So they want to make sure they get a certain number of plays off. So, okay, throw it on first down where we have one-on-one matchups on the goal line. It makes sense. It just didn't work. That doesn't mean it was a bad play call. It means it didn't work. To bring this back to the Bucks, let's say that game one played out exactly the same way. The Bucks ran the same defensive sets. They, they used the same strategy, same execution. But instead of Chris Paul going for 32 points on 12 of 19 shooting, let's say he goes for 16 points on 6 of 24 shooting. He has a bad shooting night. Just can't, can't find the hole. What would we be saying? What would we be saying today if that was the case? We'd say, Brooke Lopez was great. Wow, what a great performance by Brooke Lopez. He held his own on the perimeter, played really good defense. Just based on the shooting numbers alone, Brooke Lopez does nothing differently. The Bucs do nothing differently. Let's just say the ball doesn't fall for Chris Paul. We'd be saying completely different things. He's saying, oh, Brooke Lopez is great. Oh, they're switching one through five, and it paid off for him. Don't let the results dictate the conversation about the thought process, Right? That I've realized about fans sometimes, myself included, we're not interested in correct processes. We just want to complain when it doesn't work out our way. I think the Bucs did a lot of smart things in game one. It just didn't work. Now, they'll make tiny little tweaks and adjustments here and there in game two. Not see changes, not sweeping changes, just little tweaks here and there that you might not even notice if you weren't looking closely. Right? There's a, a point during game one where Mark Jackson, the commentator on ESPN with Van Gundy and Breen, he says something like, The Suns just need to keep doing this until Coach Bud makes an adjustment. And I'm sitting at home thinking, what adjustment, Mark? They tried drop defense. That didn't work. They tried switching one through five. That didn't work. They tried going small, but they can only go small so much for reasons we'll talk about later on in the show. The Suns have been beating the Bucs in every way and in everything the Bucs have tried. They're just hitting shots. There's no adjustment to be made. Switching defense, drop coverage, small, big. Sometimes there just simply is no adjustment. You just have to be a tiny little bit better. You need the results to change. You need the Suns to stop getting so many free throws. You need the Suns to get some bad shooting luck, right? You need the Bucks to get some good shooting luck, right? Coach Bud talks about this a lot. He always obnoxiously says, we got to be better. We got to be better. It's obnoxious and it's cliche and we're sick of hearing it, but he's right. There is no big adjustment coming in game two or game three. There might be little tweaks here and there, but by and large, the Bucks just need to be a little bit better at the things they were already doing. And this is such a misconception in local media, in national media, and with most fans. When my team loses, well, they better make an adjustment next game or else they're going to lose again. Well, sometimes, but sometimes not. Sometimes there's no adjustment to be made. It's just about executing a little bit better, being a little bit better, and making tiny little tweaks, tiny, tiny, tiny little tweaks that you probably won't even notice. Maybe a basketball coach watching would notice, but we probably wouldn't unless we're really watching closely and we're pausing and rewinding and writing down notes, right? Sometimes there is no adjustment, and we're all guilty of saying they got to adjust. Well, sometimes there's no adjustment to be made. Sometimes you just got to execute a little bit better. And the Suns in game one, it was their game for all the reasons we talked about yesterday. The shots were falling. They were getting the whistle. They were at home. 
It was just their night. No adjustment was going to change that for Coach Bud. One more reason to be optimistic going into tonight, right? As gloomy as things seemed on Tuesday, Phoenix was great. Fast forward to tomorrow. Let's say the Bucs win. You get out of bed tomorrow morning. What's your first thought about the Bucs? Awesome. Great. Wonderful. We stole a game in Phoenix. We won a game that we weren't expected to win. And now we're going back to Milwaukee and the series is tied? Hell yeah. So don't be so stressed. Don't be so worried that the Bucs lost game one. Because if they win game two, the narrative flips completely. Now, if the Bucs lose game two, we'll have a different conversation tomorrow. But that conversation is for tomorrow, not for tonight. 608-796-2558. Just some, just some big picture thoughts on how we should watch these games and how we should think about these games rather than just yelling that Coach Bud is the worst and he doesn't adjust and blah, blah, blah. Look, I don't think Coach Bud is an amazing coach, but he's not nearly as bad as I think some people make him out to be. And in that way, that weirdly makes him underrated, right? If everybody hates him, but he's not as bad as everyone says, does that make him underrated? Oh, maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know. 608-796-2558. Send me a text. You can send me a tweet at Wisco Grant. More of the Wisco Sports Show. More Bucks talk coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Getting ready for game two tonight. Going to talk a little Brewers as well. It's not all Bucks tonight. I understand that not everybody listening is an NBA diehard. I'm going to work in some Brewers talk as well. We'll chat with David Gasper reviewing the brew coming up in about 15 minutes about the Brewers' new first baseman, what it means for the back end of their bullpen, which had some struggles yesterday against the Mets. Struggled a little bit. Josh Hader blew his first save. I just, I don't like Brent Suter in a high leverage situation in extra innings. I'm not going to blame Brent Suter for him because I just don't think that's how he should be used. But the back end of the bullpen, struggling a little bit. So we'll talk about that and the Brewers' new acquisition, Rowdy Telez. That's coming up with David Gasper in 12, 15 minutes. 608-796-2558. This is from a new texter. Yeah. Longtime listener, first time texter. Love that. He says, agree with you 100%. Same thing when watching a baseball game. If a pitcher throws a shutout, the talk during the game is how the pitcher is throwing a gem. But the next day, everyone is upset because the shutout team had no offensive production. Yeah, it's funny. If a pitcher throws a no-hitter, talk to one fan base, talk to the other fan base, you'll hear two different stories. One side will say, hey, what a, what a pitching performance. Dominant pitching performance. And the other fan base will say, why does our offense suck? Why can't we put the ball? Fundamentals, let's put the bat on the ball. Let's put the ball in play, right? So it, it depends on who you ask. There's lots of ways to view sports, right? What I'm saying is just because your team loses, just because a play call doesn't work, just because a shot does or does not go in the rim, doesn't mean the player made the wrong play or the coach made the wrong call. means it didn't work. Right, And I think we need to be smarter about that when we watch tonight. The Bucs did a lot of good things in game one. The Suns were just better. And in game one, the home team in the NBA Finals typically is better. The last nine of ten NBA Final game ones have been won by the home team. Steve texts in and says, Grant, I heard you start out your show this afternoon by saying how happy you are. I'm a happy guy too today. I woke up on the right side of the green, if you know what I mean. I don't know what you mean, Steve, but I'm glad you're having a swell day. It's it's good to hear. I could interpret that comment a couple of different ways. Um, Maybe I'll do that over the next commercial break. I don't know if I need to try to piece that together on the air. I don't know if everybody else needs to (laughs) listen to that. My name is Grant Bills on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Talking a little bit about the Bucs. I think Brooke Lopez might be the most interesting Buck in 
the previous series against Atlanta and maybe in the NBA Finals too. One game, everybody's saying he can't play. The next game, he scores 33. Sometimes he does both in the same game. Game one of this series, everybody said, oh, Brooke Lopez was terrible defensively. The Suns picked on him. But he also scored 17 points. Hit a bunch of three-point shots. Got to the free throw line. And so, Brooke Lopez is this enigma. Try to explain Brooke Lopez's career to someone who is just getting into the NBA. It, I, I tried to write out my thoughts on Brooke Lopez. It's interesting. Okay, so 2008, he gets drafted 10th, which is a lottery pick, but it's not like a premium lottery pick. So, pretty high, but not super high. Great offensive player in Brooklyn for nine years. He's an all-star in 2013. Nets all-time leading scorers, we hear all the time. And then Brooklyn trades him to L.A. for the rights to Kyle Kuzma and Timofey Mozgov. Okay, interesting. So he has this one random year with the Lakers where he kind of becomes this three-point specialist. Then he goes to Milwaukee. Now he's really shooting threes. He didn't make a single three-pointer his first six seasons in the NBA. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he's also really good at defense now. He was a, a second-team NBA All-Defense in 2020. What a weird career. So I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that it's a little bit difficult to try to figure out Brooke Lopez and his role in the series. Brooke Lopez, after game one, says, hey, we learned a lot. We just got to take advantage of what we now know and what we saw in game one and put it to good use. Make little tweaks, make little adjustments, and get ready for game two. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely finding that balance, you know, and it's obviously game one. You know, we were, we were hoping to come away with the win, but and we didn't. But, uh, you know, we, we learned a lot of stuff. We have a lot we can look at now and review and, and – and go forward after that. I said this before the Brooklyn series, and I tried to sell this to a couple of guests, and no one was buying it. But I think I'm I think I'm think right. I think I was proven right in the Brooklyn series, and I think I'm right about this now. I think the away team has certain advantages in a playoff series. You can ease into a series. The Bucks lost game one. Who cares? They weren't supposed to win game one. They can learn from it. They can get better. And by the time the series shifts to Milwaukee, they should be playing their best brand of basketball. Whereas the Suns, they're expected to be Hot on the collar right away. They need to they need to pop and they need to win right away. The Bucks can ease into it just a little bit, which I think is advantageous for a team that didn't have a long layoff. The Suns had a long layoff to rest and get ready and get pumped up. The Bucks are just coming off the Eastern Conference Finals by comparison. They won in six, not just five. Did the Suns win in five or did the Suns sweep against Denver? I don't even know. Who cares? They, they had more of a layoff, right? The Bucks can ease into a series. I watched a clip from Bud after the game. Uh, in the locker room, and I like I loved it. I loved the message, and maybe it's Stockholm syndrome. Maybe I don't know what it is. I played it to start the show. This was his message directly after the game. Just think about getting better from game one to game two. We'll look at the film. We'll learn. We'll get better. We'll get smarter. We'll get ready for game two. I love that logic. Why am I becoming a Coach Bud fan? I don't know what's happening to me. I like that logic. Hey, we did a lot of good things. Giannis is getting healthier. All right, we weren't expected to win game one. Let's get better. Let's see if we can't steal game two. And if not, all right, we'll get back to Milwaukee, and then we'll really dig in and take care of business like we did against Brooklyn. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm weirdly becoming a Coach Bud guy more and more as the playoffs go along. I think it's the same thing with Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton isn't the best player in the league, but some people talk about him like he's the worst player in the league. So I think I overextend myself to defend him. I see everybody ripping Coach Bud for things that really aren't his fault, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. He's not that bad. Let's, all, let's take it easy just a little bit. And I don't know if that turns him into an endearing figure in my eyes. I don't. I don't let's talk about something else. I don't know. Brooke Lopez had a pretty good perspective on game one, I believe, and about defending Chris Paul, forcing him to make tough shots, and Chris Paul did make tough shots. I, I mean, I think I could have done a better job in trusting my teammates more behind me and, you know, try to make him put the ball on the floor more. But he hit some tough shots. You know, that's what he does. That's what he's done his whole career, and he did that tonight. Brooke is going to be expected to 
to play more defense like that and hold his own on switches. The Bucks need him to succeed. Because if you take Brooke Lopez out of the equation, well, Brooke can't play. Okay, well, who are you playing? Bobby Bobby Portis the whole game? M- more Pat Connaughton? You going small? P.J. Tucker at the five against DeAndre Ayton? That ain't going to work. So Brooke Lopez is going to need to succeed. Maybe some small tweaks a little bit. If he's playing drop coverage, he comes up a couple of extra feet. Or if he's switching, being a little bit more aggressive, as he said, trusting the defenders behind him. So if Brooke Lopez wants to put a little pressure on Chris Paul, okay, maybe he puts the ball on the ground and he gets past you, but you have help. And I think Giannis, as Giannis gets healthier, that factors into the equation too because Giannis is one of the best, if not the best, help defender in the league. Brooke Lopez can be a little bit more aggressive and confident knowing that Giannis is lurking behind him if Chris Paul is to get by him and put the ball on the floor. I I like everything Brooke Lopez had to say. A point that was made by Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst, I was listening to the Lowe Post, which is Zach Lowe's podcast earlier today after game two. Trey Young and Chris Paul could not be more different offensively. The way that Brooke Lopez is going to have to defend those two at the top of the key off the switch, very different. Different angles, different pace, different challenges altogether. So as the series goes along, Brooke Lopez gets a little bit better feel, gets a little bit better at defending them, right? We learn, we get better, we get ready for game two. I hate that I'm quoting Coach Bud. I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm weirdly in lockstep with everything I heard from Coach Bud and what I'm hearing from the Bucks players as well. I don't know. I don't know. I need a drink. Let's take a break. We're going to come back and switch to the Brewers for just a couple of minutes because I know not all of you are diehard NBA fans, and I want to make sure you're included today as well. Brewers made a trade. Brewers had a wild doubleheader yesterday. Let's talk about that with David Gasper reviewing the brew. Coming up next, you're on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Big thanks to David Gasper. Got to mix in some Brewers talk today. We'll have more at 5.30. I get it. The Bucks were in the finals, and that's a huge deal. But some of you may not be diehard NBA fans. Might not care at all. And you might just be bearing with everybody else. I'll tolerate the Bucks talk. Well, I want to throw you a bone as well. So more baseball, more Brewers coming up at 5.30. I'm on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. You can text and call the show, 608-796-2558. Sex comes in from Josh in Holman. I'll be in Holman on Saturday for Anthony's Day, Josh. You should swing by. He says, put Giannis at the five. Let Drew and Chris run the offense up top. Giannis on eight and to take away the paint on defense. Giannis at the five is their best lineup. It's been statistically their best lineup offensively and defensively when they have used it in the last three or four series. Okay. That's great that we know that. We have clarity on that. That's that's good. That is a given that their small ball five lineup is their best lineup. But it's also problematic because they can't deploy it probably with the frequency that they would like because Giannis isn't 100%, and that's significant. And they also don't have Dante. That makes a huge difference here because now you're expecting Pat Connaughton to play a little extra. And I like Pat. He's been great. But major minutes in an NBA Finals in a closing lineup? Mm, Like, I I could, but I I don't know if I want to do that any more than I have to. Then you're also asking P.J. Tucker to play more or Bryn Forbes to play more. Right, the small ball five lineup, I agree that's their best lineup, but it's it's almost like the line water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Right? Like they know their best lineup, but they can't deploy it fully because they're depleted, they're injured. It's it's not accessible for 48 minutes, so they need to pick their spots. And I think they will. I do agree that 
letting Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton run more of the offense and use Giannis more as a screener and a roller. And he can get his isolation possessions on the wing and on the block too. I think Drew Holiday needs to look to attack more. I think it would behoove Coach Bud and the Bucks to maybe stagger Drew Holiday and Giannis just a little bit. So when Giannis is on the floor, maybe let Drew take a break for a couple of minutes and vice versa. That way, they don't get in each other's way because Drew's trying to get to the rack. Giannis is trying to get to the rack. Maybe some time apart, right? You, to really learn to love, you got to learn to live apart, right? So Giannis and Drew, maybe some time on their own. Maybe that would be a good kick in the pants. Each have a little bit more room to work and maybe they can be a little bit more successful, especially Drew Holiday in, in game two. I want to have a big picture conversation coming up next about how we can wisely and smartly watch these games and learn from game one to game two to game three. So when I open the show with back at four o'clock, I want to go back to that discussion because I think it's an interesting one and an important one. And I know we have listeners joining and coming and going all the time. So I want to get back into that. We'll talk more about that small ball lineup, Josh, and why it's good, but also bad. Little Brewers talk at 530 as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this. I'm telling you that every day I'm loving you. Wisco Sports Show. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Wisco Sports Show. My, my name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Bucks have game two of the NBA Finals tonight. I love it. I... Love it! To quote Michael Scott, this finals is the best finals in years. This is amazing. This is wonderful. Two fun teams to watch. How much fun is it that we get to watch Chris Paul in the finals, Devin Booker, but also Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Giannis? Yes! Yes! I love this. So the basketball fan in me is just amped to watch. The Bucks fan, of course, a little worried. We need to get a game. We need to get off the schneid, hopefully split the series after tonight going back to Milwaukee. But just the basketball fan in me, the fan of the league. Oh, this is such a great finals. I love it. I love reading about it, listening to podcasts. I love doing the show. I love watching. I I love everything about it. I'm a happy man. Leave me alone. Don't ruin it. Nobody call in to complain about Craig Council. Nobody call in to talk about bunting. Just let me have this, please. Thank you. (laughs) Twitter, at Wisco Grant. If you want to reach out, follow. Be a part of the show on Twitter, if Twitter is your thing. About an hour ago, we were talking about Brooke Lopez and his role and what kind of role he's played in the past series and in this series, especially defensively. And the Bucks' best lineup this season has been their small ball lineup, which is Giannis at the five. So if you've heard that and you're like, Grant, kill me with the ballpoint hammer. I don't know what that means. Okay. So that means the Bucks play a lineup where Giannis is the biggest player. No Portis, no Lopez, no center. Giannis is the center. And then you surround him with four other players, preferably shooters. You could also call this, a, we're going to go five out. We're going to go small. We're going to play Giannis at the five. There's lots of different ways to categorize this, but their best, uh, most effective lineup this postseason has been Giannis, Middleton, Drew, PJ Tucker, and Pat Connaughton, who's been excellent. And I won't hear any Pat Connaughton slander because they're not in the finals. They wouldn't have even made the Eastern Conference finals without some really good play from Pat Connaughton. But yeah, he's white and he's Pat Connaughton, so let's hate on him. Yeah, I won't have it. Their best lineup this year in the postseason has been Giannis, Middleton, Drew, Pat Connaughton, P.J. Tucker. That's their small ball lineup. Now, there's two problems with that. Now, I love the clarity, first and foremost. I love that we know what their best lineup is, and, and we have that clarity. That's not an unknown. I love that we know that. But there's two problems with that being the ideal lineup. Number one, 
They don't have the depth to do that for huge stretches. Especially Giannis being a little bit banged up. I don't know how often and with what frequency you can deploy that lineup. And for, for how long, once it's deployed. I think you need to use it sparingly. Because they don't have the depth. Now, if Dante was healthy, different story. This lineup is also a problem because you have two players who essentially are non-shooters. Giannis can take threes, but no. As far as the defense is concerned, Giannis isn't a shooter. And that's really what matters. Because the small ball five is so good because it helps manipulate the defense and get matchups that are advantageous. Giannis can shoot threes, but in terms of manipulating the defense, no, he can't. P.J. Tucker also is basically just a shooter from the corner. And other than that, he's a non-factor offensively. So two of the five players in the small ball five lineup can't really do much for you. And Drew's not an amazing three-point shooter, and Pat Connaughton can be, but he's a role player for a reason. That consistency isn't a given. This is where they miss Dante because he's an athletic defender who can shoot. He's a better defender and better shooter than Pat. He's younger and more athletic than P.J. Tucker, and he's a better shooter and a better offensive creator, a playmaker than P.J. Tucker as well. He's that extra guy, and they're really missing him. So the Bucks need to find a way to get by. I think it's fairly simple. They just got to make Phoenix work harder on both ends. They played pretty good defense in game one. Phoenix got after it anyways. They need to make the Suns work even harder in game two. Don't hope that the shooting regresses. Don't hope that Chris Paul has an off game. You need to go out and actively make it happen because the, the Bucks, mostly due to Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, had a better three-point shooting night than the Suns. And Devin Booker, who finished with a really, really good final line of 27 points, well, that's because he got to the free throw line 10 times. His final night was 8 of 21, 1 of 8 from 3. So although I think the Bucks played okay in game one and the Suns played really, really well, I'm not expecting the Suns to come crashing down to earth. So you have to try to make that happen. You have to try to crash them back down to earth, and I think it's about making them work harder. Now, you can talk about setting screens and switching and shot selection, all this, all that, but you got to make them work just in a general sense. And I want to read you an excerpt from Eric Name's piece for The Athletic earlier today, and it gets at this point. It's very pointed. Eric says, NBA defenses will eventually see the offense take a shot on most possessions, and defense has to decide what shots they are most comfortable giving up, but they don't just have to allow the team to have those shots. They need to make defenses work for them. Whether or not the Bucks decide to switch one through five as they did in game one is somewhat immaterial to the idea of simply making Chris Paul and Devin Booker work harder to get the things they want on offense. I agree with this. Whether you're going to play drop defense, whether you're going to switch one through five, Coach Wentz suggests maybe they should do a little blitzing, a little double teaming on the screens, whatever. whatever. Take your pick. But whatever you need to do, you need to make it a little bit more physical and a little bit more hard because as Eric Name says, switching, drop coverage, th- that's secondary to just being more physical and being more intense. On the defensive side of the ball, mix up your coverages. And Coach Wench follows up. So he says, hey, they need to double team. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't want to get the shooters involved because Mikhail Bridges is dangerous, as is Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder. And he follows up. He says, well, don't double every time, but give them a different look to figure out. Coach Wench, you and I are in lockstep. I'm all about giving different coverages to the Suns. Maybe run a little drop. Maybe switch a little bit. Maybe do some blitzing, some more aggressive stuff. Mix it in. I want to give the Suns different looks to deal with. Now, you also run the risk of making more mistakes. If you're constantly changing up the way you defend, you leave the door open for some brain farts, for some miscommunication, for some confusion. That's on the Bucks to be buttoned up and figure it out. If you're going to deploy multiple defensive coverages, you better be clear on when you're doing what and how you're doing what, and you better not mess up, right? I'm all about giving Phoenix 
different looks as long as it's not to the detriment of the Bucks' defense through communication breakdown and issues and, and brain fart plays, that kind of thing. On offense, make Phoenix work harder. Set multiple screens. If Chris Paul is going to hide on P.J. Tucker, then run more than one ball screen. Switch him once, switch him again until you get Chris Paul on Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton. You make him work. Chris Paul's not a bad defender, but you need to make him work. You can't let him hide on P.J. Tucker the entire game. Now, you're not going to get the matchup you want every single possession, but here and there, you need to make P.J. Tucker set a screen, make Middleton set a screen, get the dominoes falling in the right direction to get Chris Paul in a position to need to work. I also think defensively, Josh texted in earlier in Holman, thank you, Josh, for this text, and said, you got to go at Chris Paul just a little bit more, right? You got to play small. You got to make Chris Paul work. I agree with you. You also got to use Drew Holiday to defend Chris Paul more often because I think if you just make life harder on Chris Paul, you're not going to get extra steals. You're you're not going to foul, nothing like that. But if Drew Holiday can hound Chris Paul up the floor, that way the Suns are initiating their offense with 14 or 15 seconds left on the shot clock rather than 19 or 20, right? You melt away some of that shot clock by forcing Chris Paul to guard the ball and dribble up more slowly. It's just less time the Bucs have to defend. Make the Suns work harder. Whether you're running drop coverage or whether you're switching, that's secondary. Tonight, the focus should be about making the Suns work harder because at times it was a little too easy. There were times the Bucs made him work and the Suns just hit good shots anyways. Tonight, need to make them work just a little bit harder. I want to continue to talk about the Bucks, but I want to bring the Brewers into a full little twofer segment coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. just saw the ratings for game one sports business journal just put it on oh this is oh no no oh it says abc averaged 8.56 million viewers for buck suns on tuesday night that's down 38 percent from raptors warriors in 2019 oh no that makes it the second lowest nba finals game on record dating back to 1990 no oh damn it i don't care i don't care Take your ratings and shove it up your butt. Do I sound like Clay Travis? Imagine wasting any brain power worrying about the ratings for an NBA Finals. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. DeAndre Ayton is good. That's awesome. Chris Middleton is in the Finals. That's awesome. Chris Paul and Giannis are in the Finals. That's awesome. Good for Coach Bud. Good for Monty Williams. Good for Phoenix. Good for Milwaukee. And you can take those ratings and shove them up your ass. Ah, so sick of people complaining about ratings. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name, Grant Bills, going to get into the Brewers here in a few minutes. Twitter, at Wisco Grant, talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Your texts have been on fire today. Coach Wench brought it. Mike and Madison brought it. Steve, Josh, and Holman. We got some new texters for Madison. What a day. What a day on the TTL, the talk and text line. And should be a day on the talk and text line. The Bucks have an opportunity to tie the NBA Finals before going back to uh, Milwaukee. And that's why I have reason for optimism. Think of, think of the outcomes tonight. If the Bucks win, it's tied. We're feeling great. We stole a game in Phoenix after a lot of hope seemed to be extinguished. After game one, they stole a game. It's tied 1-1. We're going back for two games in Milwaukee. Let's go. Right? It's right there. 
It's right in the palm of the Bucks' hand. They just got to seize it tonight, play a little bit better, hope the whistle gets a little bit better, hope the shots start to fall for Drew Holiday and Bobby Portis plays a little bit better. The equation for victory is not a long, stressful, tenuous one. It's quite simple. It's up to the Bucks to uh, get out there and execute tonight. Yesterday, we got a text from Jamie at Ken's Barbershop on the north side who I have an appointment with next week. If you see my hair, I look terrible these days. And it got me thinking. The Bucks haven't been great in game ones. And it's not just an NBA Finals thing. They've been poor in game one throughout the course of these playoffs. And we mentioned the track record yesterday, and I've referenced it a couple times throughout the show. The last time a road team won game one of the NBA Finals. Do you know? Do you remember? I had to look it up. I didn't remember. The Spurs won in Miami, American Airlines Arena, in 2013. So not the year the Spurs won. This is the year the Ray Allen shot, and then the Heat won in seven, and then the Spurs won the next year, and I think that was Kawhi Leonard's coming out party, if I remember correctly. The Spurs probably should have won in 2013, too. They wheeled the trophy out in game six, and Duncan had a shot at a layup that he just missed. This is a weird game. I was looking back at the box score today. The top scorer from either team in this game was Tony Parker, and he had 21 points on 20 shots and no threes. He didn't even attempt a three. That's what blows me away. The difference eight years makes in the way that these teams are playing versus NBA Finals teams now. There were 48 combined three-point attempts from both teams, the Heat and the Spurs, that year. The Bucks and the Suns combined took 70 on Tuesday night. In fact, I'm just I'm just sharing interesting nuggets. The Spurs starters, there were three of them that didn't even attempt a three. There were two for the Heat who didn't attempt a three as well. Udonis Haslam didn't take any, and neither did Dwayne Wade. That's unheard of today. For the Bucks the other night, for example, I mean, their entire starting five's jacking up threes. Even Giannis. Giannis probably shouldn't be. P.J. Tucker took two three uh took two threes. Excuse me. Giannis took two. Chris Middleton took twelve. That a boy, Chris. Brooke Lopez took five. And Drew Holiday took four. Everybody's shooting threes. All members of the starting lineup. The Spurs had three players in the starting lineup that didn't attempt a single one. And the Heat had two, Udonis Haslam and, uh, and um, why can't I remember it? Why can't I remember it? Dwayne Wade, thank you. My brain's having brain farts today. I'm like the Bucks on defense. I just having brain fart moments here and there. All of those statistics, by the way, from that game in 2013, not relevant in the slightest, but just fun. And I like reminiscing on old NBA games sometimes. Anyways, we're talking about game one. The Bucs have not been great in game ones under Coach Bud. And that could be for a couple of different reasons. It's probably a combination of all of these reasons. Number one, the layoff from one series to the next has been tough. Like going into the Heat series, they were off for like a week and a half, weren't they, during the play-in games? They ended up barely just winning in game one, but that, that was by far their worst game of the series. They won in four. And then... They, they swept the Heat, so they have a long layoff before the Brooklyn series started. And then they won in seven against Brooklyn, so they went right into the Eastern Conference Finals. So they had short layoffs, long layoffs. Neither short or long is particularly advantageous. So they're either waiting too long or they're not waiting long enough. And I think winning in six in the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a normally a pretty normal outcome. And I don't think they had a, a super long wait in the finals. So I... The other night, I think, was just about Phoenix being good. I don't think it had anything to do with the layoff. Shooting. Shooting has been a problem in just about every playoff game, not just this year, but for the last couple. But so far in game ones, they've shot 16%, 20%, 22%. They actually shot 44% on Tuesday, which is a little frustrating because I guess the, the pessimist could say they wasted that game. I'm choosing to be an optimist for now and believing that that game is, is a harbinger. Harbinger? Harbinger. It's an indicator of things to come. 
I tried to mix in a big word, sue me. I botched the pronunciation. My bad. I think shooting has been an issue in game one so far. Maybe that's connected to the layoff. I also think mindset is a factor here. And I mentioned this yesterday. The Bucks' attitude of not getting too high, not getting too low, it might actually hurt them in game ones. Because maybe they're not fired up enough. Maybe they're not rallying like the other team. Here's Drew Holiday after game one saying, oh, no, this game was no different than any other of the playoff games we played so far. Actually, there wasn't much difference. Game one was another game one. Uh, we felt like it was important. We felt like it was a game that we could have won and a game that we, we really wanted to win. But, um, yeah, I, honestly, it wasn't it wasn't that different. I felt like every series you kind of have those jitters of, of that of that first game. So, for me, it was about the same. But should it be the same? It's going to be a finals, right? Maybe one could make the argument, I'm not, but one could, that you need to get extra fired up for game one in the NBA finals. And maybe the Bucks just didn't do that. Maybe they didn't do it in the Eastern Conference finals, which is why the Hawks won. Or in round two against the Nets, why the Nets won. Look, Trey Young went off for 50 in game one of the conference finals too. That makes a difference. I think the layoff makes a difference. The shooting, the mindset, I think all of it. And maybe Coach Bud just isn't great in game ones. Although that wouldn't really fit with the idea that he can't adjust. If, if Coach Bud can't adjust at all, then they'd be great in game one and they'd get progressively worse as the series goes along, which hasn't been the case so far this postseason. So maybe Coach Bud better at adjusting than we previously thought. Who knows? I, I think Coach Bud's sneaky becoming underrated. Not because he's amazing, but because everybody hates him so much and believes that he's such a dum-dum. I think he's smarter than people think, which by definition would make him underrated. Correct? I don't know. Maybe I'm drunk. The Bucks just aren't their best in game ones. And our friend Jamie, Ken's Barbershop on the north side, sent in a text yesterday, got me thinking. So he mentioned, I'm ready for the Brewers to go in the tank. It's an annual thing. Every year, right before the All-Star break, they completely go in the tank. Okay. So now I'm prepared for it. Now I'm on the lookout. They typically go in the tank before and after the All-Star break. We'll just talk about before because that's the situation the Brewers find themselves in uh, tonight. They're a couple of games away from the All-Star break now. 2018 is a brilliant example of this happening to the Brewers. Bucks can't win in game one. Brewers can't win going into the All-Star break. The Brewers won five in a row from July 2nd to July 6th in 2018 to improve to 53-35, and 35, which put them 18 games over 500. They were killing it in 2018. And then, with 10 games left before the All-Star break, they go 2-8, and eight, including losing six in a row including a five-game sweep in Pittsburgh going into the All-Star break. So they go from 53-35 and 35 to 55-43, and 18-over to 12-over in a matter of just 10 games. Oof. Now, it ended up working out for them because they won the division in the end and played the Rockies instead of the wildcard game. They went on to beat the Rockies and then lose to the Dodgers in the NLCS. Go figure, right? We saw it loud and clear in 2018, and I remember that moment in the Pittsburgh game that walk-off double where the ball went through the legs of Eric Kratz, and it was, oh, what a mess. It was raining. It was wet in that game. I remember it like it was yesterday. 2018 is a great example. Now, our Brewers, the 2021 Brewers, are rapidly approaching the All-Star break. So I thought, all right, let's look at the numbers. Let's see how they're faring. As of 10 games remaining, using that 10 games as a cutoff point, as of 10 games remaining to the All-Star break, which is July 2nd, the Brewers were 50-33, and 33, which is 17 over. Pert near identical to where they were in 2018. They were 18 over in 23. They were 50 and 33 at the moment. And the Brewers had won 10 in a row going into that point, that countdown of 10 days. Since then, and we've only gotten through five of the of the next 10 games, they're two and three. Should be three and two. Josh Hader blew a save, and then Brent Suter blew another save. They blew two saves in one game. 
So they're two and three, and they're about to play four against the Reds. They're six back, the Reds are, of the Brewers in the division. And I think this series is going to be really interesting because this is a series where in years past the Brewers have faltered, and they're playing the Reds, who can pile up runs, and the Reds are seven and three in their last ten. So hold on to your butts. Here we go. We're entering the danger zone. Getting close to the All-Star break. And I thought that was an astute text by Jamie who texted it in yesterday. 608-796-2558. Good Vibes tweets in. And I believe your name is Sam based on your Twitter handle. Uh, Sam, I I, I I need to communicate something to you here. So you tweeted at me yesterday. Make sure you post the podcast. I did. So thank you for the reminder. You also tweet in today and you're like, hey, yesterday, where's the second half of the show? I wanted to show a friend the Aaron Rodgers phone call discussion. Okay, well, here's the thing, Sam. Uh, I don't post the entire two hours as a podcast every day. Now, that's for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I am slightly lazy, and it's <laughs> so that's the biggest reason. Number two is that I, I got I to gotta have some incentive for you to tune in in the moment. You know what I mean? So yesterday, I think you're talking about Brett's call. We were talking about Aaron Rodgers. Look, I, I get it. I know some of you exclusively listen on the podcast, and I got to be better about including as much as I can into the podcast and posting it as quickly as possible. Two things I'm, I'm very, very poor at. But I got to give you some incentive to tune in live, to appointment listening, appointment viewing. You don't have enough of that in our society. See, that's the thing about this generation. They want everything on their timetable. Well, you can't have it. The show's four to six. How does that sound? Okay. David Minona hasn't called in a while, so I'm just carrying the torch of uh, hating on millennials. Hating on Gen Z. Thank you for the tweet. The podcast will be up later tonight. Thank you, Sam. Tweet me at Wisco Grant. You can follow me there as well. I don't have anything planned for the last 10 minutes of the show. So if you got something you got to get off your, your chest, send me a text, send me a tweet. Uh, otherwise, I think we'll just have our closing thoughts on tonight's game. Predictions, gut feeling, you know, all that, that good stuff. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. <laughs> 